Well, Thanksgiving's officially behind us. I uh, hope you're all full. You know, it's a reason they call it stuffing, right? Am I right? Yeah, so I know I feel that way today, and I'm sure some of you do. Hope you had a really good Thanksgiving. Hope you had a really good time with family and that you're full from all the meals and turkey and gravy and dressing. And, you know, I hope there weren't any major fights at the Thanksgiving table this year with you and family members you really don't know that well. Um, and so here we are, and we're post-Thanksgiving. And you know what happens after Thanksgiving? Everything revolves around Christmas, doesn't it? And so for the next uh, few weeks, for the next month, uh, there's a lot of things like that we're going to be hearing and seeing and doing. And, you know, we're, we're going to hear on the, on the radio. I sound like, like I'm from 1973, which I am. You're going to hear on Spotify and iTunes. How's that? Is that better? Um, you're going to hear, you know, Bing Crosby talk about a white Christmas. And you're going to um, hear over and over and over again how grandma got run over by a reindeer. And we're going to drive out to Bluffton and, and head out to 95 on our way to, you know, grandma's house. And we're going to have to leave 20 or 30 minutes earlier because of all the shoppers out at the outlets. Am I right? And um, so those are the kind of things that happen at Christmas. Uh, other things we have to get ready, like I said, you know, that we had to with Thanksgiving for family members to stay in our house way too long, people we don't know and, you know, maybe not even like. I'm just kidding. Hopefully you like all your family members. But um, it's, it is that time of year. But one of the things that we get to do, especially if you're a parent, or if you're a grandparent, you get to go to your children's Christmas plays and concerts, don't you? Isn't that fun? I love going to them. Um, our kids, are, they're happening in here in a few weeks at their school, and uh, hopefully they're focused you know, on the real reason for the season, and it is fun, and we all wait to watch our kids kind of play their part. But one of the things that I like going to those for is to watch the kid that was like me, like the first grader who's up there and they expect him to stand up there for like 45 minutes to an hour. And he's just rocking like back and forth the whole time. And he's moving around right and left. And he's on the like, you know, the third level of the stands that they set up, kind of the choir risers. And as the night goes on, he keeps moving over this way. And so eventually, like halfway through, the kid on the end falls down, crash, like Christmas crash right there in the middle of the concert. And one year, I remember being at, a, at one of these, and there was one kid that was doing this the whole time with the spotlight. He was, like, obsessed with the spotlight. And he's, like, making animal gestures with the spotlight. The whole time the concert's going on, he's doing this. And I think the reason I like that kid is I think that's what I did when I was his age. So anyway, I like to, to do the concert. And it reminds me of a story um, that I read some time ago about a little boy um, who was in his church play, his church Christmas play, and his name was Wally. And Wally was a really shy and awkward kid. And so he had been passed over uh, a few times in the past to be in the Christmas play um, because he was so shy. He just couldn't muster the nerves to be able to, to say a part or to be able to even stand in front of people. And so the director of the play really this year wanted to involve him. He was growing up, and she didn't want this time to go by without him being involved. But she was having a hard time um, with deciding what part he could play because he was so shy and a little bit awkward. And, and so she finally, after like a lot of thought, decided that he should play the innkeeper for the Christmas play. And so there was Wally, you know, they went through practice and they worked on it. And the reason that she chose the innkeeper was because Wally would only have one line. And you know what his line was, right? There's no room in the inn, right? That was it. He, all he had to do was stand in front of the inn and say, we have no room at the inn. 
And so the, the day of the play came and uh, everybody gathered there. And so there was Wally just beaming with his great smile, excited that he was playing such an influential part of, of this Christmas play. And, and the play began and there he was standing there ready to recite his line. And Joseph and Mary come uh, towards him in the play. And um, Joseph had been Joseph for the last few years. So he really had the part down, this little third grader. And so he, um, he went up to the innkeeper, Wally, and he said, uh, Mr. Innkeeper, do you have any, any room for my wife, me and my wife, to stay for the night? And Wally um, began to speak, and he said out loud as he stood there in front of the door, in front of the inn, he said, we have no room at the inn. And of course, the director was so pleased. She was so thankful that everything went well, and that was it. And at this point in time, Joseph and Mary were supposed to walk back towards the, you know, the, the next place looking for a place at the inn, right? And eventually into the stable and the manger and the rest of the thing. But Joseph decided this year he would get a little expressive and, and you know, kind of like exercise some creativity in his new part, right? So he decided to take a second swing at asking Wally for some room. And so he said to Wally, can't you see that my wife is pregnant and that she's with child? Can we please have a room? And all of a sudden, Wally began to sweat. And he began to mumble, we, we have no room at the inn. And everybody thought everything was fine until Joseph decided he's going to take a third strike at this. And so Joseph said loudly, Mr. Innkeeper, please, can we please have a room? And Wally began to kind of tear up and began to get real nervous. And he finally said, no, we have no room at the inn. And finally, Joseph got the hint and Joseph and Mary went on. And as they walked away, you heard Wally scream out as he began to tear up and cry a little bit. Wait a minute, I can give you my room. I love that story. Wouldn't it be good if you and I had a little bit of Wally in us? <laughs> like in that moment, like when we um, like are just kind of in the course of life, like kind of repeating the same thing over and over again, wouldn't it be great if we just were able to like put everything behind us and with reckless abandon just say, hey, I'll give it up. I'll give my room for Jesus. I'll give my room for him. I know I wish I had a little more Wally in me. This Christmas and today we're beginning this series called Give This Christmas Away. And I love the fact that we, I believe as a church, have really come into truly being a community church where we're intricately involved in the community. That's been my dream for eight years um, each month we're involved in serving in some capacity our church partners. Because here's the thing, we can't do everything well, but there are a lot of organizations and a lot of people that can do very specific things very well to serve our community. And I want to be a part of that. So this year, we're beginning this series, this Christmas, this December, even though today's November, it's the beginning of Advent, by the way, today. And so we are beginning this series called Give This Christmas Away. And what we're going to be looking at is the fact that because Jesus was the greatest gift to humanity, and because God sacrificed so much by giving his son to us so that we can have eternity in heaven with him, our response ought to be a little bit like Wally's with this reckless abandon of, hey, I want to give back to him. Our society and our culture is so consumed 
with receiving. And we're so consumed with us and we're so consumed with what we want and what um, we expect in the presents and things and toys that we receive at Christmas. What if you and I really, truly, honestly thought differently this year about how we approach Christmas? What if we actually really never focused on us? And what if we focused on others and truly made this Christmas about other people? We would change, absolutely change the way we view what Christmas is all about. I believe we'd go back to the real original reason that God intended to give Jesus to this earth for our salvation, but for us to be able to give something else away. So what we're going to do over the course of these few weeks is we're going to look at one passage of Scripture, a different one each week, where Jesus is described as a gift and God is described as the giver of the gift. And then we're going to look at a passage where we witness and we watch how someone gave something up to Jesus that was significant to them and changed them in a radical, extraordinary way. And we're going to learn lessons on what it means to be people that truly give ourselves away and give a piece of us away. And in turn, we're influencing the kingdom of God because we're giving something that's spiritual away. But today what we're going to focus on is we're going to focus on what it means to receive. Because here's the deal. Um, We can't truly be givers of something that we don't yet have. And I would imagine in a room this size, there might be a few of you who have never asked Jesus to be your Savior. And there might be a few more of you who have really forgotten and kind of lost that passion that maybe you once had for Jesus to be the center of your life. So we're going to begin today by describing in every instance where Jesus is described as a gift and God is described as the giver, we're going to describe or we're going to give definition to give and gift today. This is kind of the common thread. Even when different words are used in the original language, this is like the common thread definition of give. The first one is this, and we're going to come back to this several times over the course of the next few weeks. To give from the Bible literally means this, to sacrifice to sacrifice or relinquish or endure the loss of something precious. Don't try to say sacrifice and relinquish like 10 times in a row, okay? Um, But to sacrifice or relinquish or to endure the loss of something that is precious or meaningful. That's from Scripture what the word give means. Now, gift, the gift, the actual gift that you're giving literally means this. Uh, It's a gracious um, and precious present given, I want you to say that next word with me, freely with nothing expected in return. And so those are the definitions where every time, and we're going to take a look at four of them, every time we see the word gift or give, those are the, that's kind of the common thread definition for each of those words when Jesus is described as the gift and or God is described as the giver. And God's word tells us that Jesus truly is the greatest gift that we could ever have. And I want to begin there today. I want to begin with the fact that Jesus is the greatest gift that can ever, ever be given and can be received. And I want to begin with a verse that's very familiar to you. Even if you're not in church a lot or maybe have never been in church, this verse is a verse that I'm sure that you know and probably most of you can say with me. So you know what? Let's say it together. John 3.16 says this. We're going to take a look at this and dive in. You can say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's a verse that either John quoted, uh, either John kind of summarized what Jesus said, or Jesus actually said it, and John recorded it. Most theologians believe it's the second one. And you know, really, like, if you take all of the Bible, if you took this whole book that God gave us as the the blueprint, the, the roadmap for life and for eternal life, if you had to summarize everything in one verse, this is the verse. And that's why you see um, people holding signs up at sporting events and the heritage and football games and, you know, with the signs that say that because they want people to know that this summarizes everything. Um, I, I, you know, in seminary classes, there'd be times when I would get frustrated because like the prof wanted me to go deeper in my explanation of whatever we were explaining. And I would just go, John 3:16. it says it all. Like, why can't we use that? Because it really sums up everything that the Bible is about. God loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. And here's what God understood. He understood that you and I needed the gift of a redeemer. We needed the gift of a savior. We needed the gift of someone who would willingly sacrifice themselves for our sin. Because here's how the story goes. All the way back in the beginning of the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth. He created Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve had a choice. Now, we're going to come back to that word choice in a moment. But Adam and Eve had a choice, and their choice was between following God's rules or following what they wanted to do. That was their choice. And what did they choose? They chose to follow what they wanted to do. And in that moment, when Adam pulled that apple off the tree and ate the apple from the tree that God specifically said, there's one tree that you can't eat from. In that moment, forever and ever, sin entered the world. It would be like if I had a, a big bowl or jar of, of water and I took one drop of dye and dropped it in that water, the whole bowl in an instant would be filled with you know, green or red or blue colored water in an instant. And so sin just permeated the rest of humanity from that point on. We're born as people who are flawed. And if any of you have infants, you know that. Okay, so anyway, um, John 3.16 says that God loved humanity enough that he was willing to give his son He was willing to sacrifice or relinquish or endure the loss of the most precious thing that he could ever have, and that was his son, Jesus. He was willing to give him up so that you and I could have eternal life. Because God knew that there was this gap between us and him, that it was sin that was that gap, and that someone had to pay the price, that had to be the redeemer, and he willingly gave up his son, the most precious thing that he could give. But not only did God sacrifice, but Jesus sacrificed. He gave up his life. He sacrificed and relinquished and and endured the loss of his own life willingly. And while he was all God, he was all man, he could have chosen, he could have made the decision to not go to the cross, but he did. He made the decision to die so that you and I could have our sins removed, 
so that one day when we die, as John 3.16 says, we can have eternal life with God and not suffer in hell, not suffer in that eternal death, that perishing that he talks about and that Jesus is going to talk about again in the message or in the verse we look at, look up. So God gave up Jesus, his son, to be our redeemer, and Jesus gave up his life to be our savior. Listen, I want you to hear this. That's the gift of Christmas. That is the gift of Christmas. Everything else that we've made up, by the way, really over the last two centuries, for the most part, about Christmas is all just extra. It's all just like, you know, extra stuff. It's meaningless in terms of eternity, and I know you know that, but God's gift was the most meaningful gift, the greatest gift that ever could have ever been given. And so God gave up Jesus, his son, to be our redeemer, and Jesus gave up his life to be our savior. Now, we see in this whole idea of God being the giver and us being the receiver, we see what I like to call a transaction. Um, how many of you have worked in retail before? How many of you have worked in retail? You worked in retail? I worked in retail. Thank you. You know the pain. You feel the pain, don't you, of Christmas. Now, I'm one of the weird people that loved retail. I loved retail. I worked at Eddie Bauer all through high school and, and it really into college. And uh, at my Eddie Bauer at North Lake Mall in Atlanta, and then I worked up at another one in Washington, D.C., um, I was one of the youngest guys um, there at Eddie Bauer. And so they would put me on the cash register because um, I understood technology a little bit better than some of the other folks that worked there. And I could, believe it or not, do it faster, even though I'm really slow at most things that I do. I could do that pretty fast. And so um, at, on Black Friday, which we just had, um, they would put me and a couple of the other young you know, younger people at the cash registers, and we would make these transactions as quickly as possible, sometimes many per minute. You know, a person would find a sweater that they wanted to give to dad or an ugly tie or a backpack or whatever the case may be, duck boots, that was Eddie Bauer, those were there known for, and they would bring it up, and we would give them that item in exchange for what? Credit cards, but yeah, money, okay, so reference our last series. They would give us a credit card and charge it up, and we would give them the sweater, the gift, and, and we would take their money. And, and that was the transaction. What God is doing here is he is creating a transaction where you and I, to complete the transaction or to continue the transaction, do not have to give back anything that's of any kind of monetary or materialistic value. He's created a transaction where he is the initiator. He's the one that initiated this great gift, this greatest gift ever. And we are the receivers of that. But when we receive it, we do not have to give him any money. We don't have to give him anything of any material value. Are you with me? It's a transaction that cost us nothing. You see, if somebody came up at Eddie Bauer and wanted a sweater, and I put it in the bag and handed it to them and didn't charge their card or take any money, that would be a free gift. And I would be shown the door as an employee of Eddie Bauer, right? God's gift of salvation is free. 
But even though it's free from a monetary or materialistic value, there is something of us that we have to give to him when we accept him as our savior. And this point is, is so incredibly communicated in this story that's found in Matthew chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, the verses will be on the screen as we look at the, the faith of a, of a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier. Now, now you and I have a, uh, we have a choice in this matter. We have a choice um, to receive God's gift or to reject God's gift, just like the soldier that we're going to read about in a moment. We have a choice to e either take and, and receive the gift that God is freely offering us, or we can reject it. And there's really kind of, there's no in-between. Everyone in this room, um, everyone who's in here today, every person that's on earth who's an adult has made or will make the choice to either receive it or to reject it. And the Bible's clear that receiving it means that we have a promise from God that we will spend eternity with him in heaven. To reject it means that we will spend eternity suffering. We will continue to perish. And while I'm not going to go into that today, the choice is very stark. It's a very clear contrast. It's a wide uh, line between those two choices of where we will spend eternity. And in this transaction, we have the opportunity to either receive that gift that God's given us or to reject it. H have you ever rejected a gift that someone's ever given you? I mean, has it ever been Christmas morning and you guys are, you know, by the fire or by the table or, you know, in your apartment like we did in New York, little tiny apartment with a little tiny Christmas tree? I mean, we're little tiny people anyway, so it fit well for us. Um, you know, we're like getting ready to celebrate Christmas and you've bought a gift for someone you love. Maybe it's your spouse or your kids. And you're so excited because you reach down. Maybe there's a Christmas tree or maybe you just keep them on a table. And you reach down and you pick up that gift and you, you offer it to them. And on Christmas morning, they look at you and go, I I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to receive that. That would be one awkward Christmas morning, wouldn't it? I mean, if your kids did that on Christmas morning, number one, you'd be completely shocked, right? And the other thing is, is like breakfast or lunch would come very quickly, wouldn't it? You'd like get to dinner really quickly. But we generally in our society don't reject gifts that are given, that are truly gifts. Um, and if you've ever had someone reject something that you've given to them freely, it, it's painful for the one who initiates the giving. And it's the same way with God. If you're here today and you've never received him as your savior, or, or, or maybe you've thought about it and you've come close to, to like receiving that gift of eternal life and you just have just rejected it at the last moment, um, I, I'm going to challenge you at the end of today's message to make this your day that you say yes to Jesus and you receive that gift rather than reject it. Maybe you've even been in church for a long time and you've never actually received that gift. Maybe you look great on the outside. Maybe you know everything about the Bible that you can know, but you've never really in your heart, I'm not talking about with your head, but in your heart received that gift. There is a man that we're going to focus on here over the next remaining moments together that shows us that humanity was the ultimate recipient. If Jesus was the greatest gift this man represents the fact that you and I were the ultimate recipient 
of the gift. Let's take a look at Matthew um, chapter 8 and and take a look at this first example of someone that, that really gave something back to Jesus, but in return, he learned how to receive, and we need to do the same thing. Matthew 8. Chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. When he, Jesus, had entered uh, Capernaum. Now, let me stop there for a moment. Jesus has just been up on the side of a mountain, and he's been preaching a message. He's been teaching a message. It's contained in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and, and in it is contained the Beatitudes. We find the Lord's Prayer. There's a lot of things in there that Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount that are so incredibly meaningful um, to Christ followers, and I would encourage you to read it. So he comes into Capernaum, and, and he's there, and, and here's what he, he interacts with several different people, the first of which is this Roman soldier called a centurion. Actually, it's the second person that he interacts with. Take a look at verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. And verse 6 says that he began with this word. And I want you to say this first word with me. Lord. Lord, the soldier says to Jesus, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I, Jesus says to him, I will come to your house and heal him. But the centurion, this great Roman soldier, um, replied and said, say it with me again, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And he says in verse 9, For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one soldier, go, and he goes. And to another, I say, come, and he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, there's no one, there's no one in Israel that I have found that has faith like this man has. So here is Jesus with all of his Jewish followers, with all of his Hebrew followers who are following him as their rabbi, learning from him, and they're all from, you know, like the same nationality, the same blood, the same culture, and Jesus is turning everything upside down, but they've chosen to follow Jesus, and Jesus looks at these guys and goes, hey, ladies and gentlemen, there's no one that has more faith than this Roman soldier, this centurion. Verse 11 and 12 talks again about about really hell and heaven. I tell you, many will come from the east and west, and they'll recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. What that means is there are some that believe that they're going, but they don't believe in the right thing. They don't believe in Jesus. They, don't, they haven't put their faith in him. They'll be thrown to the outer darkness. In the place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have. What's that next word? Believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now, just a couple things. This was the first century. 
And one of the most remarkable things about the first century is you have this cultural separation that we talk about a lot between the Jews and even the Jewish Christians and the Romans. This was like in the middle of the Roman Empire and kind of what, like at the height when Rome was becoming more and more powerful and they ruled the, the known world of that day. And so Rome was clearly in control. And so there was this gap, kind of this chasm between the Jews and even the Jewish Christians. And there was a gap there too, but we won't get into that today. And those people who really like put their allegiance and they followed Rome and they followed the emperor and they followed the rule of law of Rome. There was this cultural gap. And so this Roman soldier would probably not have interacted, even though he lived in a Jewish area, he probably wouldn't have interacted with a lot of Jewish people except to arrest them if they did something that went against the law of Rome or to, to punish them if they did something that went against the, the law of Rome or the, the rules of the Roman Empire. And so he wouldn't have ever really interacted. He would have just interacted mainly with other Roman people. In fact, he probably would have interacted with powerful Roman people. And we know from what um, Matthew here records that this was a man who was of great power. In fact, most theologians believe that centurion was the, the, the title of a rank and that that rank equated to what in our modern terms might be a captain. And so this soldier, this Roman centurion, would have overseen up to and maybe even more than 100 men in the Roman army, and he would have been over what we call today a company in the army. And so he would have had great authority over a lot of men in a relatively small town. And so we see that he had great authority, but he also had great power. In fact, he could snap his fingers and a soldier would go get him what he wanted. Like, you know, if he needed lunch, hey, you know, go down and get me lunch, you know, down at the 7-Eleven, if you would, please, and make sure that I get a Diet Coke because I'm watching my weight. Or, hey, I need to get my laundry, so can you go down to the dry cleaners and pick up my laundry for me because this tunic is just a mess. And so he would have sent someone, and they would have done it just like that. This was a powerful person. It had tremendous authority, but we also see that he probably had a lot of wealth. And that's evidenced by the fact that he had servants that also took care of him. Now, in this day and age, a servant in the home of someone who was very wealthy would have been almost like a son or a daughter. They would take care of them. It wasn't like servant the way we think of it as, but they would have taken care of them, and they would have cared for them in a remarkable way. And so when this servant of this centurion fell sick and was paralyzed, this centurion was looking for any way to heal his dear friend, the one that he cared for. And who does he turn to? He turns to a rejected Jewish rabbi who most of the world in that day and age thought was crazy. This Roman centurion turned in his greatest moment of need to Jesus. And he received Jesus essentially as his savior because he put his faith and his trust in him. See, although salvation doesn't cost us anything, belief in Jesus requires something from us. 
And, and so the first thing that this Roman soldier gave up to put his trust and his belief in Jesus was, was really his pride. He, he gave up his pride. This was a man um, who probably was very much self-made. He probably lived the, let's call it the Roman dream, the American dream. He was a self-made man. He was a guy who came up through the ranks, who earned this great like, level of living because he provided for himself. But he realized in his most desperate moment that he had to give up on any pride that he had to be able to put his trust in Jesus. And you know what? We can give God our trust when we first surrender our pride. We have to get over the pride that we may have that we are sufficient enough to save ourselves when it comes to eternity. We have to realize that like our accomplishment in life isn't gonna blot out the sin that we've done. We have to realize that all the good things that we do won't outweigh the bad, even if that's the church culture that we grew up in, because all three of those things I just mentioned are things that put the onus for salvation in us. And I realize that some of you may say, well, that's really not a big deal to me. But maybe if you began to unpeel the layers in your heart, um, maybe it really is self-sufficiency that is keeping you from fully trusting Jesus. Maybe it's um, just the, I don't know, hope that you've done enough good to outweigh the bad that you believe is the reason that you're going to go to heaven when you die. This Roman centurion realized in his moment of desperation that, that he couldn't do this by himself. That self-reliance wouldn't save his friend and his servant from being paralyzed. And so he traded his pride. He traded his pride and he trusted in God. And you and I can do the same thing. Secondly, we can give God our hearts by embracing humility. I, I love the fact that twice in this passage, he called him Lord. This was a, a Roman centurion that my, my view of this centurion was that he was, you know, tall and like came right out of the gym and was just built just so much like me. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> And he was this big, you know, strapping guy that if you were in trouble, he's the guy you would hide behind. He's the guy you would seek out. And he had power and authority and strength, and he was self-made. And yet, twice here in verse 6, and then again in verse 8, you know what he does? He calls Jesus what? Lord. And that word means master. It's acknowledging that he is over and superior. In fact, most theologians believe that if you addressed someone as Lord, you know what you would do? You would get on your knees and you would bow before them. 
And so here's this great Roman centurion, this great soldier that is on his knees, giving up and embrace, giving up his pride and embracing his humility. And he's putting his trust in the one that can save him and his servant. And in essence, what he's doing is he's giving God his heart. You see, this went beyond just simple belief. This went beyond simple trust. Yes, he trusted that Jesus could do it. And Jesus said, this man has more faith than anyone I know in Israel, in this land. But it went beyond just belief. He humbled himself. The servant, I can just picture him with his armor on and with his sword at his side, bowing before Jesus, acknowledging that he is lower than the rabbi that he put his trust in because he had heard the stories about Jesus raising people from the dead. And he knew that the future hope was in this one. And we can give God our hearts by embracing humility and getting over ourselves or any thought that we can save ourselves. And we can be people that Jesus marvels at and looks at those religious people that we so often look up to and say, you guys don't get it. This one is the one who believes this is the one who has faith. And then lastly, we can get God, give God our lives by receiving salvation. Every indication is, is that this man became a follower of Christ. You see, no longer was he a follower of Rome. No longer was he a follower of the emperor, although he may have kept his job as a Roman centurion. His first and foremost central passion became his Lord. Or else he wouldn't have called Jesus that. And his belief indicates to us that he received that gift that Jesus was offering. That gift of salvation. You see, salvation doesn't cost us anything in terms of material wealth or money. But belief requires us to give something of ourselves up to Jesus. And my prayer and my hope for many of you who are here today, who haven't completely given your lives over to him, is that before you become a person who gives Christmas 2015 away to someone else, that you be a person that receives Jesus as your savior, who gives up on humility and pride and, and lays your eternity at the feet of the one who gives us hope and offered us the free gift of eternity. We really can only truly give once we have first learned to receive. You know, not all gifts are free, are they? Um, when, I, uh, when I first moved here, shortly after I first moved here, I was playing golf in a charity event, and uh, I got paired up with uh, three men that were probably 20 to 30 years older than me, and um, they were great guys. We had a lot of fun, but they were golf buddies. And uh, you could tell they were golf buddies. And any of you that play golf and you get paired up and you're the odd man out, you're like the third wheel, you know it. Because <laughs> they're all talking and they're, you know, I could see them placing bets and stuff, which was fine. I didn't want to be a part of that because I didn't have any money. And uh, so anyway, but um, they were doing their thing and I was like the third wheel, but I got in the cart with this guy and he just talked the whole time and told me his life story. And that, that was awesome. And, and I really enjoyed that, even though I wanted to focus a little more on golf, but that's okay. So he was telling me his life story. And as the 18 holes went on, I became more and more interested in his life story. And about halfway through, he said, well, I've, um, 
Uh, and it was kind of a rags to riches story, like one of those compelling, like I came from, you know, nowhere in South Carolina and became, you know, this person of influence. And so it was a really great story. And about halfway through, he said, now I've written a book um, about my story and, and I'd love to give you a copy when we're done playing golf today. And I'm like, man, that is awesome. I would love to read that. And I said, in fact, um, I'm, I might, if you're okay with it, I might, I might have you give me a couple copies because I might be able to pass this on to someone um, who needs it. So we, we ended the round of golf and I was hooked, man. I was just, you know, he was reeling me in. And so anyway, so we got done with golf and we all put our golf clubs away and he motioned over to his trunk and opened his trunk and there was a box of his books that he had self-published and he, he gave them to me and I, I was really kind of moved and I gave him a hug, this guy I don't really know that, you know, I just played golf with in this tournament and I said, thanks, man, I really appreciate that and, you know, said goodbye to the other uh, guys that I played with and as I turned to walk away, Way, he said, oh, by the way, you owe me 60 bucks for the books. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't understand this word give. I thought that it was a gift. I thought you were giving me the books. And because he had talked about giving the whole time, I expected it to be what? Free, right? I mean, giving is free, right? So I was in quite a pickle there that, you know, that I had taken two of his books and evidently they were 30 bucks a piece, which is a lot more than I'm going to pay at a you know, high-end bookstore. But anyway, that's a whole other story. The fact is, and the point is, is that everybody around you will expect something from you in terms of some kind of monetary value if they are giving something to you other than the people you may love the most. But Jesus offers you eternity for nothing. All you have to do is lay down your pride, embrace humility, and be a receiver. Be a receiver of the gift that he offered and that he initiated. All you have to do is receive it. And here in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. Because for you to be someone who gives, you have to learn to what, learn what it means to be someone who receives. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much for this example of the centurion, for this man that was of great power and authority and um, strength and even wealth probably. God, I thank you that um, he gave his life to you and it's a great example of how if we think that we can do it by ourselves, we are so sorely mistaken. But God, if we would humble ourselves, if we would embrace humility, and if we would just receive the gift that you have already offered us, God, we can spend our eternity with you in heaven. And God, I pray right now for those who may be in here and they have never put their faith in you. God, I pray that they would not let one moment go by in their life. They would not let another uh, second tick off the clock or minute or day or Christmas or year because at some point in time, their time expires and my time expires. And God, I pray that they, just like this Roman soldier, would give themselves to you today. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, now listen, if, you've, if you have believed before, if you've asked him to be your savior in the past, 
There is nothing that can take that away from you. It is a one-time transaction. You received that free gift, you're good to go. But if you're in here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, and before we go down the road any further of being people who wanna give Christmas 2015 away, I wanna give you the opportunity to accept Jesus as your savior. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God loved the world enough that he gave Jesus, not just for the world, he gave Jesus up to die on a cross to exchange your sins for eternal life. Why not be like that Roman centurion? just make that step towards belief. If you're here today and you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you just in your own words, just silently, you and God sitting right there. If you want to kneel, that's fine. If you want to come down by the cross, that's fine too. Um, Just in your own words, just express what I'm going to say out loud in your heart to God. There's nothing magical about the words. It's the intent of your heart. invite you if you're here today and you've never accepted him to pray this prayer. God, thank you for the example of this centurion. Today, I recognize that I have sin in my life, that I have failures and faults, but today I also realized that you sent Jesus (laughs) to take that away. Today, I give you my life and I receive the salvation that you offer. And I'm thankful that I get to spend eternity in heaven with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you're here today and you prayed that prayer just in the quietness of this room, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Would you raise your hand? Be bold enough to raise your hand. Awesome. Who else this morning raised their hands? Keep your hands up for just a moment. Awesome. Anyone else this morning? Keep your hand up for just a moment. Awesome. 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 There's three or four. I want to encourage those of you who raised your hand this morning. I'm just going to ask you to look up at me while everyone else has their head bowed their eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, there's a bottom of that card in your worship folder it's a place for your name and email address and a place for you to check off that you received Jesus as your savior today I want to invite you to do that so I can send you some information I can follow up with you personally let me know your email address all right you can take that card back and give it to Susan she'll give you a bible Um, it's so important to be anchored in the word of God and in a church that teaches the word of God God thank you for those who are here today who have traded an eternity of suffering and death for an eternity with you. And God, I pray that that would be a great reminder for the rest of us of the gift that you gave in your son. And God, we, um, we acknowledge that that is a fantastic, amazing gift that's only from you. And it's our only way to heaven. And God, right now, um, we just sing praises to you. 
And God, we give back to you. And God, may we take seriously, whether we accepted you today or whether it's been years or decades ago, I pray that we would do something a little different this year and that we would be people who are truly doing what you did. And that's giving Christmas away this year. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.